This is To Hear Knows When, Great Irish Albums Revisited, a Learn and Sing production. I'm Paul McDermott and this is a podcast about great Irish albums. It's named after a My Bloody Valentine song. If you go to at Learn and Sing on Twitter or paulmcdermott.ie forward slash podcast, you'll find links to the episode notes and lots of further information on the podcast. And I'd ask that if you've enjoyed any episode to date, then please consider subscribing, liking and sharing. Now, this is a special bonus episode between season one and season two of the podcast. Now, this special bonus episode doesn't revisit an Irish album, but it does tell an incredible Irish music story that I know listeners of the podcast will enjoy. This time last year, I was editing a documentary about a chance meeting all the way back in 2008 between Andrew Weatherall, the world-renowned DJ, producer and remixer, and Jared Sheehy, a County Cork fisherman, that had inspired Weatherall to use the phrase fail we may, sail we must, as a personal mantra, and then get it tattooed on his arms. The documentary tells how that phrase in turn has become an inspiration for thousands of others. It details how last year, on the first anniversary of Andrew Weatherall's death, Sheehy was identified as the source of the phrase and then it goes on to explain how these two disparate worlds of the music and fishing industries collided. It was first broadcast on UCC 98.3 FM on the 17th of February this year, Andrew Weatherall's second anniversary. Recently, this documentary was broadcast on Australian radio and at the end of the episode, you're going to hear me chatting to the Australian broadcaster Axel Moline all about this documentary. So something special before we get to season two. So here we go to Here Knows When, a bonus episode. It's my great pleasure to present Fail We May, Sail We Must, a tribute to Andrew Weatherall. Nobody pushing us around. I apologize. But tell me, just what is it that you want to do? Well, we want to be free. We want to be free to, to do what we want to do. It's one of the most famous samples in music history. That's Frank Maxwell playing the preacher and Peter Fonda playing heavenly blues in Roger Corman's 1966 biker movie, the Wild Angels. The scene takes place at the funeral for Heavenly's best friend Joe Loser Kearns, played by Bruce Dern. A minute earlier, before Heavenly interrupts proceedings, the preacher takes to the altar and says, Dearly beloved, we are gathered here to pay our last respects to a fine young man, cut down in the flower of his youth, and his early passing gives us cause for deep sorrow. I think that's the perfect place for us to start. So dearly beloved, this isn't a biography of Andrew Weatherall. It's not an in-depth profile of the man. It's simply some stories of how Andrew Weatherall and the music he created left a lasting impression on some people who came into his orbit. It's the story of how an ordinary fisherman told Weatherall some tales of the sea and how in turn those tales affected him. Consequently, that story would influence thousands more. So this is a story about honour, bravery. It's about perseverance. It's about trying and failing. It's about picking yourself up. And it's about trying again. This is Fail We May, Sail We Must. Look, let's get cracking on this one. Oh, that was rolling, was it? Cancel that, anyway. Okay, my name is Stevie Granger. I DJ under the name Stevie G for many years. Right around the corner here in UCC is pretty much where I started DJing. Down in Sir Henry's, down the road. We started college around the same time, Stevie, okay? I think it's fair to say we were indie kids. Guitar bands, shoegaze bands at the time, late 80s, early 90s. My Bloody Valentine. 
Sonic Youth. Suddenly this track came out in 1990, Stevie. Weatherall's remix of Loaded. Yeah, like that's a game changer. There's probably two, apart from the whole Primal Scream thing, there was the, the remix of Soon as well, right? Yeah. But these tracks really helped change the game. I mean, you're talking about a very special period of music, that kind of indie dance crossover. Got a C90 tape with Loveless on one side and Grimadelica. And I'll never forget the first night I listened to the two of them, like flipped over one side and I was like, oh, my bloody Valentine, back to Primal Scream, back to... And I just couldn't believe, I think I listened to, to them maybe three times each that night. I was up till about like six in the morning. The whole Weatherhall imprint on Screamadelica, it just made it sound very different. Now, I didn't know whose hands were all over it. I remember when I got the vinyl, seeing the kind of dub symphony in two parts and seeing Weatherhall's name. Loaded could work in any situation. Like, I started DJing maybe a couple of years later. I was playing one or two of the tracks which would have been loaded. Soon, the, the My Bloody Valentine Weatherall thing. Common enough loops at the time were crossing over, like Soul to Soul. I think it is the loop that they use on Keep On Moving, which is unloaded. Bootlegged for a remix of Edie Brickell's. That's right, yeah, What I Am. Uh, and then, of course, he added that absolutely fantastic vocal line from The Emotions. Absolutely, yeah. And I knew Primal Scream previously as well. It was like nothing that had gone before. They'd lock in the groove and there was still all the different kind of experimentation went on top. But it was just so cleverly done. I mean, the cut and paste stuff, what he did with Screamadelica, what Wetherall, there was a certain sophistication to the sampling his musical kind of knowledge. For example, if you're a dance music specialist, like we'll say Fish Goody, who you're, you're going to be talking to, he would be as good doing dance. He and Stevie was right. I did talk to Fish Goodeep, or at least Greg Dowling, one half of the production duo. Sitting in his garden on a lovely but windy day, Greg told me about meeting Weatherall for the first time. I'm uh, Greg Dowling, uh, one half of Fish Goodeep, longtime producer and DJ. Yeah, we booked him, I think, in the mid-90s for Henry's when we used to do those weekenders, myself and Shane, and we, we booked DJs from all over the place. Yeah. And we booked Andrew back then. Funny guy, like, he'd just, he'd just come up with one little quip after another. He'd just be in knots, like, you know, having a, having a cup of tea with him or something. That time he played in Henry's, it was banging. One huge techno tune after another, which I hadn't expected. So that was my first proper encounter with him. I kind of didn't, I almost didn't like the music, you know, it was so heavy, yeah. I didn't expect it, you know, but I think that was a bit like him, you know, he, he, he wasn't going to live up to any, my expectations of him, I suppose. Maybe. When would you have first come across his name, Greg? I suppose through the remixes and through the Primal Scream yeah. kind of time, I mean, we played Loaded, I mean, everybody played Loaded, yeah. that was a big track in Henry's. You know, in the middle of the in the middle of a house night, you know, yeah. and like he completely, utterly de. When you see what he did to the band, he deconstructed like. So I mean, he had such an ear for that, and he always, he almost invented a new form, you know, new type of music. Then it was the chill out stuff, you know. It was yeah. the stuff you went back to when you were talking, as he said himself, when you were talking nonsense at the party afterwards. You know, this was the stuff that came on. That was transformative, really, I suppose, for everybody. Joe Kelly from Music Promoters, The Good Room, recalls playing Weatherall's remixes in Sir Henry's in the early 90s. Obviously, I was playing Loaded, you know, soon the remix, Only Love Can Break Your Heart, and then you'd Smoke Belch. Introduce yourself there, Joe. Hi, I'm Joe Kelly from Cork City, Ireland. Well, not originally, but I have been for 33 years. Joe, you were naming out remixes there. Do you know, I would have been DJing in Cork from 89 and kind of... In 1990, I rented out Henry's originally. By 91, I was doing Thursdays in the Village and kind of some back bar stuff. And by 92, because the night before had got quiet, I was took over. So interestingly, at the time... There was no name, I suppose, for what the music was. I suppose indie dance was the best description because you had Greg and Shane doing the sweat thing, but let's just call it, it was very much, want to take you higher, and a very vocal coming from disco garage soul. While basically what I was doing or what I was listening to was New Order, and then comes along Screamadelica, which basically redefines production-wise, indie dance music. And it's still an amazing album. And, you know, the other interesting thing about him then as a DJ, right, he was as big as Paul Oakenfold, any of those guys. He never took the money. He wasn't bothered. It was very much 
his sound, what he wanted to do and his vision. Guy was a proper artist in all senses of the word. One of the most interesting and erudite people you'd ever speak to, you know, uh, right across the boards. He was just a fascinating character, you know. He very much developed his own sound, but like, for example, Dublin band that moved to London, My Bloody Valentine, basically he puts, I suppose, a breakbeat behind it, effectively. You know, and in my time doing, we called it a new age, but no one ever called it that. It was just Fridays and Henry's. But again, that would have been one of the biggest tunes, you know. And as well, Saint Etienne, Only Love Can Break Your Heart. After Joe's time in Sir Henry's, another old friend, John O'Leary, had two regular indie nights in the club, Freakscene and Gigantic. I DJed with John at Gigantic on Fridays, and we often played the remix of Soon. It was just a huge track, guaranteed to keep the main room dance floor heaving. Here Kevin Shields of My Bloody Valentine tells Karen Lang, broadcaster and producer with Australia's ABC digital radio station Double J, how Weatherall's remix of Soon came about. That was great because we had um, discovered Andy Weatherall through a club called Shoom. It was mostly house music kind of thing, basically. And at the end of the night, he would kind of take over and kind of turn the whole thing into all sorts of crazy music type thing. But as a sort of general direction, he kind of had this more lopy, more mid-tempo type thing going on that we recognised very much from hip-hop. But he was really doing it in the in more in the dance kind of world. And then he, then he did a remix for Primal Scream and we just, he was like, oh, he's doing mixes. And because um, we already thought he was pretty cool from what he was doing as a DJ. So I think we became the third band he ever did a mix for. Um, that was a soon thing. I mean, the best part for us was that we had got into that kind of club culture and we weren't really part of it, but it was really cool to have that track kind of be part of everything, you know, and it was for a short while, you know, it was really was in everywhere for a little while. And then it was amazing seeing people dancing to that. Kevin Shields there talking to Karen Lang. After My Bloody Valentine, the next Irish band that Weatherall remixed was Dublin dance act Bumble and their debut single West in Motion. Tristan from the band picks up the story. We've been working on sort of trying to record traditional Irish musicians. I think Breda Mayock sang on it. Nobody knew really much about techno or dance music in Ireland at all, so we're kind of making it up as we went along. I'm Tristan Orpen Lynch. I was one of the members and manager of Bumble back in the 90s. Does it feel like a lifetime ago? It feels like a completely different lifetime ago. Is it 30 years? It's 30 years, yeah. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) And so we'd done a white label on that and we printed, you know, a few hundred of these white labels in London, got them back in boxes, and then we wrote our phone number onto the white label when Primal Scream were touring the SFX in early 92, Andrew was DJing. And while he was DJing, Finton from the band went and from the crowd handed up the white label and Andrew took it. And then about, I think a week or two later, I got this phone call out of the blue, literally, hello, it's Andrew here. I was like, who? Andrew Weatherall. You know, he said he was interested in doing the remix. And he came over to Dublin to meet us. We had heard that another major band in Dublin, one of the biggest bands to come to Dublin had approached him about doing a remix and apparently he wasn't into doing it but he was into doing this remix of this unknown band from Dublin who had never released anything so he had this amazing sort of sense of actually getting something really grassroots and original as you want to do and he was really particularly interested in the, the Irish thing and the barons and the traditional Irish sounds, he really wanted that sort of earthy sort of organic thing and then obviously he took it on and put his own beats on it and like to be honest with you he did a much better job than we did had probably very limited audience in Dublin and suddenly people from all over the world were listening to our stuff because Andrew did the remix. It was ludicrous. We were being interviewed by dance magazines all around the world. You know, we played, you know, the Ministry Sound. Suddenly it had a huge effect on the whole thing. 
there was no music business nonsense labels all this kind of stuff it was all about just the sounds and the music with him he wasn't genuinely wasn't interested in the money that wasn't part of it at all as I say, if anything, we played down the whole Mother Records thing because that wasn't necessarily helpful in that situation. Tristan Orpen Lynch on the Weatherall remix of Bumble's West in Motion. Into the 1990s, Weatherall formed the Sabres of Paradise and released three albums with the group. In the late 90s, he formed Two Lone Swordsmen with Keith Tenniswood and the duo released a number of albums. Remix and production work continued, transforming tracks by New Order, Bjork, Spiritualized, Grinderman, Cut Copy, literally hundreds of others. I've often wondered, where did he find the time? His work ethic was incredible. And on top of this, he was still regularly DJing at clubs and festivals everywhere, playing the most eclectic and exciting sets by anyone. In 2008, he was back in Ireland to headline the Cork by Southwest Festival down in Skibbereen. Greg Dowling remembers the gig. He's the kind of DJ that just locks you in. He was that groove thing, you know, and it was incredible. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but he's the real DJ's DJ. You know? yeah. And what was he like personally then? Just full of chat yeah. and full of stories. And not, he wouldn't be going on about the, 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 the actual the DJ stuff as much he'd be much more talking about what was going on in the world or telling funny stories about stuff and that he didn't take himself too seriously you know you know it is just a disco as he said himself you know in Skipperine when they ran a little festival just on the edge of town I was on and then I was played quite deep and then Shane went on it was, he was very deep and Andrew just came up and he went oh yes oh yes oh yes so and there was just this kind of look on his face yes 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 and he went deeper <laughs> he didn't try and bring it up and for an hour he went much deeper than we were and the crowd were just kind of and he was waiting and waiting and then he just started un- unleashing kind of stuff and built it back up again but halfway through the gig he and I still remember it he turned around to me and said do you know what they need now Greg I, said, I don't know a bit of posh trance <laughs> posh trance <laughs> and he was right <laughs> <laughs> and he just kind of winked at me and that was it you know he was like the kind of DJ who didn't want to light on him you know he just the music spoke and that's I mean unfortunately I think that's probably what's happened these days you see DJs are on stages your job is to play the music you know it's not to put your hands in the air you yeah know? now this particular gig will take on greater significance a little later in our story But now let me just explain that sometime after this trip to Cork, Weatherall had the phrase, fail we may, sail we must, tattooed on his arms. Fail we may on a ribbon banner encircling an ornate sabre on his right arm and sail we must on another ribbon banner encircling an anchor below a tall ship in full sail on his left arm. When asked about the phrase in an interview with John O'Burgess in 2010, Weatherall agreed that the phrase was something he lived by and that it was inspired by a fisherman he met in County Cork. A few years later, promoter Joe Kelly had Weatherall back later, in Cork. We had him in the pavilion, I can't remember the year, I'm guessing, I don't know, 2012, 11, something like that. I asked for the crack Greg Dowling of Sweat fame to support him. And I supported him then, he was brilliant. It was an amazing set. And I remember Joe Kelly at one stage asking me, who was, who was running the path at the time, asking me, what time? When is this music from? As Greg said to me, he says, those records could be new or could be 25 years old. I have no idea. That's the thing with Andrew. You couldn't tell where. You know, it, it could have been late 90s stuff. It could have been weird 80s stuff. You don't know. But the way he kind of meshed all the music together, it was timeless. And that was the point almost with his mixes and production and whatever was that he was like just technically and sonically brilliant it the only thing that would be comparable was there was always the rhythm section was so important and all the noises and everything floated on top stevie g who ran the pavilion with joe at the time remembers dropping in during soundcheck to say hello to other the first time meeting him i actually got him to sign a few records very cool guy uh, he signed Screamadelica, some Sabres of Paradise stuff. He wrote a lovely inscription on your Screamadelica, Stevie, didn't he? Yeah, if you're not on the edge, you're taking up too much space. So that was beautiful. Broadcaster and DJ Keanu Chavon brought Weatherall to Galway a few times to play at 110th Street, the club he ran with his friend Cyril Briscoe. Paul, how are you feeling? Can I stay? 
Can you introduce yourself to me? Are you just trying to get my levels? Is it? I'm trying to get your levels and get you to introduce yourself. I better put on my biscuit. It's Misha Kino Kivon. Agus Ismail Lorhor on Tavtohil or Orti Radio Nagelte. Agus Kid Milifotrot Grimihig. Kian, when did you first hear the name Andrew Weatherall? I heard the name Andrew Weatherall first through buying copies of the buying either the enemy or a melody maker or both, and his name was popping up a lot in interviews around the productions of stuff like Saint Etienne and the uh, second wave of Primal Scream singles at the time, yeah. You couldn't find the records, but uh, I did have one mate who had a lot of the EPs and stuff, and he used to put them onto tape for me. So he'd put like three or four Prime Scream EPs, Dixie Narco EP, etc. So the first time I heard him was when he actually played at a club that I played at myself regularly, but it was the Saturday night we weren't on, and he was a guest at the Saturday night we were rotating with. So that's when I first heard him DJ, yeah. One, I definitely think it was one of the best DJ sets I ever heard in Galway, if not in my entire life. Yeah. And what was he doing that made it so special? What made it special was he was playing what was really loopy, crazy techno for hours, but he was making it really interesting, bursting with personality. It was just great crack. And there were so many people in the club who probably didn't know 95% of the music he was playing, but everybody was on board. There was a warmth and a humour and a tongue-in-cheekness coming through the track selection. Like, he was only playing for two, two and a half hours, but he had the whole tension and release. So even though he was still banging it out, he had moments where it was deep. And you knew there was something around the corner that there was going to be a gear shift, yeah. It's very hard to maintain full-on banging for hours on end. Like, you know, you need to you need to give people breeders. And he, he, he just nailed it that night, yeah. We knew that he'd have no problem filling bigger venues and playing to bigger crowds. But he came over to Galway to us. Uh, we were just a small independent. It was in a hotel ballroom in town. He was happy enough to come over to a club that he'd never heard of, just maybe by reputation to his booking agent. I think we gave him a grand sterling for the gig. I remember apologising to him at one stage and just saying, uh, yes, I'd, I'd love to give you more, but... Uh, a grand is all I can afford to give you with the numbers we have here. And he just said to me, Kian, a grand is not to be sniffed at. <laughs> he completely wasn't playing what he was playing the previous year. He played a kind of, I, th- I suppose you would call it uh, what he was called a uh, stupid ass techno set the first time around I heard him. And the second year was probably more that kind of electro house stuff with echoes of electro clash. And um, the first time we brought him over and a lot of that kind of dubby DFA sounding kind of stuff as well. Yeah. You brought him back a few months later, didn't you? He was so blown away by the vibe in the club that night and just how friendly everybody was and how he was just made to feel part of the the gang that was in the club that he, not to mention the reaction he got to the music, that he just came back to me and said, I'd love to do this again. And I said, do you want to do the birthday? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. And what was interesting was when he came back to do the birthday a couple of months later, six months later, was he... I put a lot of time and research into what he was going to play. And he knew more about our club through talking to myself and Cyril Briscoe around the club. But he knew more about, you know, we'd given him some of our mix CDs and re-edits and all this kind of thing. And it, it was totally different again when he, when he came back in November. He played, for want of a better term, a very electro poppy set. There was a lot of vocals in it. Uh, there was a lot of crack and melodies, a lot of songs even though he was delving in and out to techno and stuff as well. So it, it was kind of almost like a, pr- a more underground version of what a two mini DJ set would be, but still kept everybody on board, even though a lot of the records were unfamiliar to people at the time. Keane stayed in touch with Weatherall, and then in early February 2020, was in Manchester for a weekend. I happened to be in Manchester just before restrictions and lockdowns came along about a month. In advance. I knew he was playing that night in the White Hotel in Salford. The club we were at finished at four, but he was playing with Sean Johnson till six. In the, so we got in there for the last two hours. At the end of the night, I went up and I introduced myself to him. And as soon as I said 110th Street Galway, uh, he, his eyes lit up. And he did say, he just said, uh, I was feeling rather poorly. He said, I didn't think I was going to make it tonight. He said, what the hell are you doing over here in Manchester? I said, well, it's my birthday. And he said, happy birthday. And that was the last thing he said to me. Yeah. Nine days after that Salford gig, on February 17th, 2020, Andrew Weatherall suffered a pulmonary embolism and died. 
He was 56 years of age. My girlfriend said, I just saw on Twitter that Andrew Edward is dead. I said, really? And she, I said, it's just Twitter, it mightn't be true, you know? And then the story started gathering pace and looked like it was true. What did I do? I got very emotional. I lay back on the bed and I just started crying. We, we spent the rest of the day uh, watching YouTube clips of him and interviews and uh, yeah, but I didn't go into work, I think, for th- that night. Yeah, it was, a, it was just a very weird time because it's not as if we were close buddies or anything, but it, his death did, did definitely affect me. Yeah. I think the emotional impact that he had on me would be the same that he would have had on a lot of people in this country and in the UK is not only was he this legendary figure who was making these amazing records behind the scenes that nobody might have been aware that he was involved in. A lot of us had met him and we had encounters with him and we had stories about him and he'd told us funny stories over the years. So he was somebody we kind of felt like we knew. You, you never know until somebody dies, do you? Like, you know, how it's going to affect you, yeah. As news of Weatherall's passing appeared on social media, a strange thing happened. The hashtag #FailWeMay, SailWeMust began to trend, and people started sharing stories of what Weatherall and his music meant to them. There was an outpouring of emotion. Weatherall was more than just a DJ. He was the chairman. He was the governor. I wasn't alone in suddenly seeing #FailWeMay, SailWeMust everywhere. You saw the phrase all over the place. I think they had it over in Twisted Pepper. Did they put it up over the door? It was kind of the UK. It was everywhere. It became, a it became a mantra for the man, you know, and the way he lived his life, you know, that you know you have to be prepared to fail yeah. if you're going to get anywhere, yeah. you know. And I mean, we all know that if you actually take a chance and step off the side, you know, you start with the idea and you go, well, oh, no, that's. It's the bits that you thought weren't any good sometimes turn into the bits that are really good. You know, and that's where you learn most about yourself. Absolutely. This mantra, especially maybe after Andrew passed away, became a song. It became murals, graffiti, T-shirts, tattoos. posters, tattoos. Yeah. And it's such a positive thing. Yeah, it's pick yourself up. Yeah. Let's go again. It's, it's very uh, stoic. And Andrew, I'd say, was a, from what I can gather, was quite a stoic kind of guy. Keanu Kavon and Greg Dowling before him. And as the lad said, the phrase was everywhere. The graphic designer, Jack Collins, told me what influenced him to produce a beautiful Fail We May, Sail We Must print. My name is Jack Collins and I'm a graphic designer and illustrator from Cork City. Jack, we're here to talk about Andy Weatherall. How the print actually came about is basically the last poster I designed for an actual gig before the pandemic hit. So it would have been uh, friends of mine run a club night called Dim the Lights. They wanted something for Paddy's weekend, hence the green, and something to incorporate the Fail We May, Sail We Must tagline at the end of it. So that was obviously cancelled on account of the pandemic. And I was like, that's actually a really nice poster for what's going on at the moment with the tagline on it. So what I actually did was stripped the actual details of the gig off it. I just actually put a link to it up on my Twitter and my Instagram just for people to actually download off Google Drive and they could just print it off at home if they wanted. Fail we may, sail we must thing, like the kind of design part of the print came about from like a memoriam for him. It was kind of like a horizon idea, along with the, the sailing aspect of the quote. I know I said I'd give them away for free with, with, with the orders on my website, but there's loads of people who've just bought them individually. Mm. Yeah, and, and actually a lot of people in England bought them in and around the time of Weatherall's first anniversary there back in February. I actually got to meet him for a minute. Did yeah, you? I used to work in the, in the PAV, in the pavilion there in town. And uh, he was playing there one night and I used to work in the bar and in the office and stuff doing promo and I just got to say hello to him while he was sound checking and kind of fanboy into his face. So he did a remix of uh, Sweet Love for Planet Earth by a band called Fuck Buttons that I love. Yes. Blurted out to him and he was, couldn't have been nicer. He was like, oh, thanks very much. That's very kind of you to say. And I was like, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> From my side of it anyway, why I wanted to put that print out and make it available to people for free was that, you know, when, when the pandemic hit, as a species, we didn't know where we were going to make it through the other side of it, you know what I mean? How many people had sleepless nights, you know? That line couldn't suit the human experience more at the moment, you know? We had to keep on going, but we didn't know if we were going to get through it, you know? You know we, we had to sail, but we certainly could have failed, and it looked like we might have at one point. Fail we may, sail we must, 
hasn't just appeared on beautiful prints like the one designed by Jack, it's appeared on posters, t-shirts and people have been inspired, like Weatherall before them, to get a tattoo of the mantra. A friend, Chris Keating, told me that his wife, Janet, had a tattoo of the phrase. Hi, my name is Janet Keating and I have a fail we may, fail we must tattoo on my arm and I love it. How's it going? I feel like we know each other, Janet. But that's the beauty of Facebook, isn't it? It brings people closer together most times. When I heard the phrase, fail we may, fail we must, it was around March 2020, end of February. And it just like struck me immediately. I thought it was a wonderful expression. I thought it encompassed everything. And I have some tattoos and they all have a meaning. And that to me, it just, it was for me. So I wrote it down and I kept it. And a couple of months later, then I just went ahead and got it on my arm. And um, I thought it was wonderful. Personally, it has to be something that's significant to me, you know. And then I read the story afterwards. And it just, you know, it's just amazing, amazing story. So I'm following it. I'm interested in it, you know. There is a following with it. So you can see that, you know, there's a huge interest in it. And that's great. And that's kind of his legacy, you know. Just wonderful. That to me is very strong meaning, purely you got to get on with it. You just, you, we all fail and we learn from our failings, but we all get on with it. We have to sail and move on and get on, you know. I think maybe it's when you're older as well, these things, you know, they strike you more so, I think, at times, because it's, it's very, very true and it's very wise. Give us a look there. Do you mind? Give us a look. Okay. Holy moly, how do I? Sail we may. Sail. It goes around, sail we must. It goes around my wrist like that, and I've got a bunch of roses, and then I have... Chris and I got married on the 9th of the 9th, 19. And so that's Greek for nine. And that's love above it. So so it kind of blended in to the whole thing. Beautiful, Janet. Beautiful. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And it's really important to me. Janet Keating there on what inspired her to get her fail we may, sail we must tattoo. Now in February 2021, Kiana Chavon was planning to mark the first anniversary of Weatherall's passing by dedicating an episode of his radio programme on Tev Tuhul to the governor. He wondered about the origin of the fail we may, sail we must phrase, and he took to social media to try and get to the bottom of the mystery. It happened in the depths of that winter lockdown, so everybody was pretty much at home alone. There was no pubs, clubs or any, there was no social experience whatsoever going on in real life barring what was going on in social media I was on my own for those months when I was preparing for the show I think I just casually tweeted that I was always fascinated by that fisherman story and Cork first of all the fact that he claimed that he met a fisherman who was from Cork we could never unearth who this fisherman was so that was my and my mother's from Cork and I had connections with West Cork going back and would have spent a lot of my summers there so does this fisherman exist as the years went on, I thought, yeah, he may have made the story up or maybe he got confused. Knowing what I know of Wetherall, he wouldn't have flippantly got something like that confused. But my other fascination with that story wasn't so much the fail we may bit. The bit I loved about it was when the fisherman picks Andrew Wetherall up and, and drives him to West Cork, he asks Andrew Wetherall about the glamorous world of DJing. And I loved Wetherall's response. He said, it's bullshit. It's discos. Tell me tales of the sea. The first day of after that tweet was mostly people involved in the music business in Cork and in Ireland. It suddenly took on a, a life of its own. It kind of did after Des Riskell did the piece in The Examiner. That was it. He did the whole uh, call out for Fisherman article. So the tweet kind of ended up going into dead ends. But the piece around the article started getting traction. First of all, it was it a skipper fishing publication. They picked up on it and they said, uh, stay tuned. We have a few leads. No. In three minutes, I'm going to attempt to give you a synopsis of Keen's social media search for Weatherall's mysterious fisherman. So at 10.45 on the 15th of February 2021, Keen took to Twitter and asked, Does anyone know who the Cork Fisherman is in this Weatherall story and when it happened? I'm intrigued by how one seemingly throwaway remark has become so iconic. To all intents and purposes, it practically kickstarted a mini cult. Hashtag fail we may, sail we must. 
We were off. The search was on. Des O'Driscoll, the arts editor with the Irish Examiner, replied, Examiner did a story around his death, but we never heard of anyone coming forward. Beware, it could have been a gig elsewhere. Waterford, maybe? Loads of ground to cover. Kieran O'Mahony, a journalist with the Southern Star, thought of West Cork. Wasn't it in Lizard, in Skibbereen, when Nick Cave played down there? Was it 98 or 99? He tweeted. DJ Stevie G replied, Lizard makes sense. Tracking down the guy is another matter. We hosted him in the path about 10 years ago. The designer Jack Collins chimed in. I got to shake his hand at the sound check at the gig in the path. Guy was an absolute gent. DJ Colm K jumped in, most likely from the time he played an amazing set in Skibbereen at a Cork by Southwest festival. Lots of locals helped with the transport. Keane replied, this is a very promising lead. And then DJ Greg Dowling added, we played before him. Halfway through his set, he turned around to me and said, I think they need a bit of posh trance. Classic Andrew, so dry. The Twitter conversation continued into the next day. Hundreds of likes, shares, replies. Up to this point, though, it was still mainly people involved in the court music scene and local media. And then suddenly, the Skipper magazine tweeted, Give us a location and year and we'll find him for you. Now, I'd never heard of the Skipper, but it's been around since 1964 and is one of Europe's leading commercial fishing industry publications. The fail we may, sail we must hashtag was taking on a life of its own. I tweeted to Keane, it'd be great to track him down and interview him, and Keane replied, could make for a really good radio doc. That's exactly what I thought of when I first saw that quote, I quickly tweeted back. At 2pm, Des O'Driscoll published an article on the Irish Examiner's website. Who's the Cork fisherman that inspired Andrew Weatherall's tattoo? By now the story hadn't just gone national, it had gone international, with lots of music websites picking up on it. The Skipper magazine tweeted, We have a few leads already, stay tuned. And then at 3.30pm, someone called Billy Cummins tweeted, I know exactly who that is. Our mate, Jared Sheehy, gave him a spin for Cork by Southwest Festival in Skibbereen. He's a fisherman in Baltimore. Keen replied, Billy, is this true? Can you follow me for a DM, please? Billy, 100% true. A few hours later, Keen tweeted, On the eve of the first anniversary of Andrew Weatherall's untimely demise, I believe we may have found the fisherman whose motto became tattooed on the governor's arms, Gervmila Mahagwivakorja. It had taken less than 30 hours, but Twitter had done its thing. So, that's how I found myself in July of 2021, standing in Jerry Sheehy's kitchen, high up above Baltimore in West Cork, looking out a big bay window at a spectacular sea view, Shirkin and Clara off in the distance. My name is George Sheehy from Baltimore in West Cork, Ireland. I'm the fisherman who had the chance meeting with Andrew Weatherall and I think the story goes from there. When you arrived here, you got out of your car and I knew that you were going to walk around the front straight away and just go, wow. And I just, it's the first thing everyone does when they get here is just rolling hills and clear blue seas. I'm jealous. <laughs> Jared explained how in 2008 he ended up collecting Andrew Weatherall at Cork Airport and driving him to a music festival in Skibbereen. I didn't bat an eyelid because I didn't know who the man was or nothing about him and just went and collected him and just up until last February I never paid it much thought after that really you know it was just I went and I got him and we had a conversation and I dropped him back the next day and that was it you know sitting in a car for an hour and a half and, and chatting. And now, Jared never knew that the chat he had that day on a car journey through West Cork would leave a lasting impression on Weatherall and then, in turn, affect others. He knew nothing of tattoos, graffiti, T-shirts, posters and prints or murals. And he also didn't know that the opening track on Weatherall's 2010 album, Pox on the Pioneers, is called Fail We May, Sail We Must. In an interview for Dummy magazine, John O'Burgess had asked Weatherall about the origin of the phrase. I played the clip for Gerard. Nice. We may, so we must, yeah. is something you've lived by. Well, it, 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 I, suppose it, it, I suppose it is, but I've never realised it. It was just it was kind of handily encapsulated by a fisherman I met. Right, okay. <laughs> I, met I was doing a gig in, um, uh, in County Cork, and it's kind of way out in the country, and this young lad came to pick me up. Um, and... Uh, um, 
he was about 20, 21 years old. And we got talking and uh, he, was a, he was a fisherman, he was a trawlerman. <clears throat> and he wanted to know about the glamorous, exciting world of DJing. And I yeah. said, no, you're joking. I, that, tell me, fisherman, I, that, it's bollocks, it's yeah. discos, it, it's not half as exciting. Tell me about... Um, you know, tales of the sea. Yeah. And uh, he was telling me all these insane stories. Like when he was 18, his father was the captain and they were in like a Force 9 gale. His father broke his leg falling downstairs, so he had to captain the ship at 18 in a yeah. Force 9 gale. And I'm just thinking, well, I couldn't even look after myself when I was 18, <laughs> let alone the trawler boat in a Force 9 gale. And I was just really impressed with him. And I, and I just said, are there times when you get up in the morning and you think, I can't be asked? And he said, well, yeah, of course. He said, but, and then he said, but fail we may, sail we must. Right, right. And I just thought that was a brilliant, uh, and, and um, which led to me spending hundreds of pounds and a lot of pain having it towed up the insides of my arms. <laughs> and uh, um, uh, I'm, I'm pretty good, I've got a pretty good work ethic anyway. Yeah. But there are, there are some times where, you know, especially if you've had a heavy night the night before and you get up and you think, oh, I'll phone in and sound poorly. Yeah. And then you just think, well, now hold on a minute, you know, if this, this guy can go out, you know, he has to go out in a, in a force nine gale and captain a ship to, to feed his family. Yeah. I'm sure I can get my ass out of bed and go and <laughs> spend two hours in a disco, you know? It's yeah. mental. It's, uh, and that's the only word to describe it is mental like I mean that it had such a, a meaning and such an effect to him I mean the type of personality I was just chatting you know I'd only been on the boat for about a year and a bit and we we were leaving Killy Beggs and we were doing a repair job down on the boat and next thing one of the doors opened and I couldn't see anyone but I could hear someone shouting and I was like what the fuck is wrong with him like you know and back and it turned out he had fallen down two flights of stairs but had fallen and he's back and sl slid down. We got him up to the coach and I went up and got the boat, turned around, heading back for port. It, it's hard to describe, it's, obviously it's crazy, you know, and I mean, you're up and down and you're thrown all over the place, but I mean, we were only a couple hours from port, so if we were uh, any further distance, it would have warranted a helicopter lift, but my dad would be quite tough, so they got him settled out in the coach and the boat and a bag of peas in his leg, like, and I went down and he said, oh, I think it's okay, it's just a bad sprain, like, and they lifted off the bag of peas, and I was just like, no, that's definitely not a bad sprain, like, you know, so uh, we got back, and we got him taken to Sligo Hospital, and he had several operations on his ankle, and, and that's, that's kind of, I suppose, where the basis of this story comes from. Like, I mean, when you're out in that kind of weather, everyone says, oh, like, are you, are you not scared, or, you know, how do you feel, but... When you're there in the moment, you never do because you're there in the moment and you're just concentrating on what you're doing and you're just making sure that everyone else is okay. And I suppose you just have to get home and you have to get on with it or you have to make sure that your boat is head to wind and you're doing the right things to make sure that you are. I mean, a lot of the time we could be three days off land and there could be a storm coming and the storm might only last for 24 hours. So it's not going to be viable for you to take three days to come in and three days to go back out. So you sit and you write it out. And I mean, to people that spend their life in the sea, it's, it's part of the job. And unfortunately, to the industry right now, people are spending more time at sea in bad weather because we have to. To make a profit or to meet targets, to meet quotas, the regime that we're working under is becoming more difficult all the time. And it's becoming more dangerous all the time for people. When I met him, uh, we were just sat in the car and we were just coming down the road and we were just chatting and I was probably full of beans being 20 or 21 saying, wanting to know about his life, like I said, but he was far more interested in talking about what I was doing. He says, fail we may, say we must. Yeah, it's fail she may, but go we must. It's quite similar, like it's only just, you know, he'd ask me a question and then he'd kind of almost go on a deep thought or think and he'd be sitting in the car just kind of, that's anything. Then he'd come with a few more questions, you know, it was like, he was really, I think, taking it all in, and, and obviously by how it transpired afterwards, he, he really did take it all in, like, so. It's an absolutely amazing story to think that something so simple could have such a meaning to someone and, and have such a, a, an effect on him, I suppose. The phrase came from, from fishing, like, that's where, and when I was growing up with my father, and there's guys I work with, John Driscoll, like, they, these are the kind of guys, that's what they said to me, like, you know, and that, that was just, that was just your mantra, you just, that's what it was, like, you know, and amazing to think that, like, so many people take it on board now and use it as their, as their mantra, as, you know, yeah. I, have it, I have it on my chest with a, with a tall ship, like, you know, I wanted to just get the phrase, to me it's always meant, and it's always, I think if you're going to succeed in our line of work, you have to have the mentality that you're 
going to get up and you're going to work and that you're not going to fail and that you're you're going to push at every opportunity you know and, and I think that's what makes the good from the bad like I mean you know if you want to be successful in anything in life you have to have the drive at the end of the day and, and that's what that means to me like you know it means to me that there's days that like he said that you don't want to do something but you have to I think I think it's a good way to live your life you know I mean I just dropped him to Casey's Hotel in Baltimore and the next day I dropped him back and we were just once again just chatting about fishing how was the night and thinking remember just as he's getting out of the car he says to me what was that saying again so obviously like it had been playing on his mind you know and your payments was free tickets for the free tickets for the weekend yeah yeah that's West Cork for you barter system <laughs> as I was leaving Jared's house I spotted a framed map of West Cork hanging in his hallway on the map where the Fastnet lighthouse appeared was a tiny little bulb flashing every five seconds in sync with the actual Fastnet lighthouse lens 13 kilometres away Fastnet. out in yeah. the Atlantic Ocean. There's the Fastnet there, yeah. Long Clare, amazing there where we were just looking at. You said you're heading off? I'm heading back to Donegala on Monday to the boat, it's in the shipyard there. From, is it Killybegs? Killybegs, yeah. Killybegs down the west coast? Down the west coast. I'll stop off in Baltimore for maybe six or seven hours just right. to pick up some grub and different yeah. things. And when you sail out of Baltimore then, what's the last thing you see? Is it fast the fastnet? Fastnet, yeah. And like how many hours out would you be before it actually Just an hour. All before it disappears, maybe two hours. Yeah. yeah. And what's that feeling like? To be honest, once you leave the harbour, you know, the beacon is, is quite iconic in yeah, Baltimore. Yeah. Once, in you, your once you're gone past the beacon, you're gone and, and that's it. You know, and so. then you were telling me you're going to be gone for two months. Yeah, roughly around two months. It's actually, um, we're heading down to off to, to the Bay of Biscay, off the northern coast of Spain. And it's uh, tuna fishing. This time of the year now and down, especially down there, the weather would be gorgeous, you know. It's more the winter months when we're on the west coast of Ireland. The west coast of Ireland actually has some of the biggest swells because there's nothing across the Atlantic stopping the swell from building. And you've been fishing since what age, Jared? Since I could get on board a boat, really. Yeah. But I've been fishing full-time now, 15 years. The problem is we're actually turning into a dying breed, mm. you know. So it's a, it's a worrying time, but look... You have to be an opportunist too and not be a pessimist, you know. I wished Jared well on his voyage to the Bay of Biscay and I drove back through Baltimore. I parked the car and climbed up to the beacon, the 50-foot whitewashed pillar high up on the cliffs, towering over the mouth of the harbour. The last time I was up here, I was seven years of age. My father had me stand with my back to the beacon while he took a photograph and I can clearly remember my mother getting anxious, saying, hurry up, the wind will blow the child into the sea. I stood again with my back to the beacon and I looked out to sea. I imagined a George trawler heading out of the harbour, out past Shirkin and Clara, sailing past the fastnet into the wild Atlantic Ocean and gone. I thought about Andrew Weatherall and I remembered all the pubs and clubs that I DJed in over the years playing his records and the joy his music brought to so many people. Images of Isaac Bell's on Patrick's Quay, the village and Sir Henry's on South Main Street and Nancy Spain's on Barrack Street flashed by. I thought of an old friend, Andrew McDonough, who had recently passed away, another Andrew and DJ and all the music he had shared with me. As the wind roared around me, I thought of my parents who are no longer with us. I thought about the bravery of Jared and all the other fishermen and I thought of tales of the sea. I thought about trying and failing, picking yourself up and trying again. Fail we may, sail we must. I headed for home. Fail We May, Sail We Must was produced by me, Paul McDermott, for Learn and Sing Productions. Thanks to Jared Sheehy, Kino Chavon and all the other contributors. A special word of thanks to Karen Lang for allowing me to use audio from her interview with Kevin Shields and to John O'Burgess for allowing me to use audio from his interview with Andrew Weatherall. Fail We May, Sail We Must was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland from the television licence fee. Welcome back to Positive Altitude. I am Mountain Drew. Here on Radio Blue Mountains, it's just after five. 
Hopefully you heard the last hour or so of Paul McDermott's brilliant radio documentary about the origins of Andrew Weatherall's two iconic tattoos, uh, Fail We May, Sail We Must. I was super lucky to also catch up with Paul and have a chat with him about his documentary, so getting a little bit inception-y here with the documentary about documentary. But I'm going to play that for you now, and then in a little while we'll jump back into more Andrew Weatherall music. Hope you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just absolutely love your documentary. Um, it felt to me exactly like the kind of thing that Andrew Weatherall himself would really enjoy listening to. And I, I listened to it again this morning, and it did. I did sort of pick up a couple of times, which I hadn't the first time, that Andy says a couple of times, oh, you know, I don't really want to talk about being a DJ, or I don't really want to talk about music. I'm more interested in the tales of the sea, or I'm more interested in just hearing about what what you're what you're doing. And it just made me think, God, he'd love this story. Has anyone else kind of said that to you as well? Lots of people have said similar comments, Axel. And that was the whole thing. I mean, for those of us that kind of read interviews with Andrew Weatherall over the years, we mm. would have known that quote where he talked about meeting a fisherman. Now, I, like many others, thought he had made it up or embellished <laughs> it, or yes. maybe it was uh, a couple of stories he'd kind of molded into one to create this lovely story and kind of didn't think any more of it, to tell you the truth. And um, coming up to the first anniversary of his passing. Mm. A DJ here in Ireland, um, Cian O'Chavon, Cian does a brilliant radio show on the Irish language radio service, Radio Nguiltopta. Cian just went to social media and he just <laughs> said, you know, do you reckon this story is true? Do you reckon we could track down the fisherman? And it was great because over lockdown, of course, we were all at home doing nothing. So for a couple of days here in Ireland, way back in February of 2021, loads of people involved in music and um, pop culture and media and so on and so forth. We were just conversing online, trying to figure out, trying to figure out, hang on, I remember he played, he he played such and such a place, maybe, you know, and this, yes. and this, and this went on for a day, maybe a day and a half. Yes, one of and the best of your of your story is like I'm going to quickly try and tell this in rapid fire. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it's so it's so nice because it's like I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of us are quite jaded with social media, anyhow, right? So it was quite nice to think. Oh, you know, this is really what it could be, and this is how it can work really wonderfully when it's like connecting, you know, DJs to the culture editor at the Irish Examiner, and then all of a sudden, like <laughs> yeah. the this shipping publications involved, and it was just brilliant. It was great. And halfway through that, maybe, you know, a few hours into that or something, I said to Kean, this has to be turned into a radio series or a documentary or something. And Kean was like, yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. A day later, once the fisherman was discovered, I got straight on to Kean and I said, Kean, you know, if you're not going to do it, can I have the fisherman's number and I'll do it, you know? <laughs> and he was like, he was like, of course, no problem, Paul. Uh, I had to make this journey back to West Cork. Now, you know, I'm from Cork, but I live in Dublin. Now that's a yes. few hours away. Yep. And West Cork is even further south then. So you're really talking the southwesterly tip of Ireland, you know? And um, I made this kind of, I don't know, it, it, it was almost like a pilgrimage in a weird way. Yes. down to meet the fishermen. But the one thing I'd say, Axel, about this piece is when I started talking to people about it, they were saying, oh, you know, you could make a lovely biography of Andrew Weatherall. And mm. I was at pains to point out to people, you know, I'm not trying to do that. There's a lovely biopic that could be made about mm. Andrew Weatherall, but mm. I'm not the person to make that. I don't know his friends. I don't know his family. I wasn't close to the man. So that's not the story I and want to tell. Mm. I wanted to tell this story. Oh, and, that's, I mean. and I think that's what makes it so terrific because there is, we do have like that jockey slot kind of um, publication, which has a lot of the um, like kind of a whole bunch of interviews over the whole course of his kind of career sort of put together and stuff. And so that's there. So that's what, that's one of the things that made this story so special. It's like these, the, the smallness of the story in a way and, and all the connecting bits. And I loved like like we're sort of saying with social media, but the connection between one thing to the next and 
and with you personally as well, like you, you go and see Jared, you see here that the picture that he has with the lighthouse, then you go there and that reconnects you to all of these um, memories from the past and you thinking about your friend who had also recently passed yeah. away. And um, it's beautiful. Yeah, that had happened July of last year. A great friend of hers, um, his name is Andrew McDonough. Andrew was also a fantastic DJ. He used to DJ under the alias DJ Fork. He was a brilliant, brilliant DJ. And I worked with him for years in the 1990s. And he always introduced us to kind of new tunes. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was down in Cork doing interviews, Andrew had just opened up um, an antique shop in Cork and I was on my way to interview someone for a different documentary and I passed the front of his shop and he'd only been open a couple of days as I walked past his shop I said to myself oh I should go in and say hello to Andrew and wish him well in his new endeavor and then I kind of looked at my watch and went oh my god I'm late I need to run so I didn't go in and say hello to him and then a few days later I'd heard that he passed away. He got a heart attack. He was only yeah. in his early 50s. When I was below in West Cork then, and when I was up at the beacon, this beautiful landmark overlooking this harbour, I was really struck by, the. I, I suppose, kind of a bit of guilt, Axel, that I kind of hadn't gone in to see him. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you have those kind of moments in life where you kind of go, oh, my Good God, God, I should have done that. I should have done that. And I didn't. And I felt a little bit of guilt about it. And that all got kind of wrapped up in this story then. So, yeah, that's what happened there. Yeah. But, you and know, I suppose out of the guilt of kind of not going in and, and wishing him well, I said, well, the least I can do now is kind of pay tribute to him in this in this documentary. That well, was kind of my thing. I mean, yeah, your your friend DJ Fork and Andrew Weatherall both passed away in their 50s. You just expect like there will be another chance. There will be another time. They're so young. It's you know, I, I didn't actually ever get to see Andrew Weatherall perform. Um, and I had a couple of opportunities and both times I was like, oh, I'll just catch him next time. And and I, I deeply regret that. Clearly, it's nothing like your personal story, but you just it's one of the things where you just don't expect them to be gone. That's exactly it. And so many people said things like, oh, you know, Andrew Weatherall, when he died, people said things like, oh, my God, the last two or three times he played in Dublin, I didn't bother going because I kind of thought, oh, sure, I'll go the next time. I'll go the next time. Mm -hmm. And then people were kind of had these regrets, you know. I thought it was really nice, though, that hashtag that did seem to trend there on his anniversary, fail we may, sail we must, it was really nice and positive. And I'm totally aware that social media can be this, you know, horrible place, a divisive place. But kind of what was really nice was that hashtag, fail we may, sail we must, was just a real a place of positivity and kind of good vibes and people being really nice and sharing nice stories. And, mm. you know, there was something in that that I thought was really nice. And then I couldn't believe it. I was talking to a friend. He said to me, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Like my wife's after getting a tattoo. And I said, I don't believe this. I said, oh, my God, will Janet talk to me? Because that's amazing that she's after getting a tattoo. And again, it wasn't that she was drawn necessarily to the idea of the tattoo because of Andrew Weatherall. It, it was more the kind of the personal meaning she took from it. And mm. I thought that was really interesting that this phrase that a fisherman's family used as their mantra has suddenly kind of. Yes inspired others there's something lovely in that i think when you you've spent so much time on this particular project did you find that fail we may say or we must is something that like floats to the top of your mind in a way now that it didn't before you took on this project absolutely you know i'll give you an example axel in the work i do you know i'd have been reluctant with projects unless i was a hundred percent happy with something i'd be reluctant to kind of let it out into the world and then i kind of thought oh to hell with that and then for instance over lockdown i, I was planning a podcast and i was saying right i'm going to do this podcast and i was kind of slow to get it off the ground because you know i i suppose i was worried about how it would be perceived and then i eventually kind of went oh to hell with that just do it just do it to, like to hell with the naysayers and just do it and sure it was received brilliantly and you know and and then i thought yeah that's it you know like stop being worried about what other people kind of think and 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 just go and do it you know yeah like one thing i have to say is i was genuinely massively massively impressed the day I went to meet Jared Sheehy, just 
extraordinary man. The and life so that himself and his colleagues, what they do for a living is a dangerous livelihood and they do it with good spirits and it's extraordinary. I mean, yes. he posts photographs on his Instagram account of where they are and, you know, they could be a thousand miles off the west coast of Ireland out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and he'll post videos of these swells of his little boat going up. But like it, it, yeah. it really made me think about the fishing industry and that livelihood and how we take it all for granted, do you know? Mm. Um, yes, it's just on our supermarket shelf. That's it. Yeah, exactly. And yet what these people do every day is really extraordinary. They're, so, they're do, incredible when, young when, men. When you spoke to Jared, how long, what was the time frame between that, that sort of flurry of activity around the anniversary of Andrew's death and then you going to see him? How, was, how, yeah. how much time passed that? Jared was identified in February of mm. 2021, just before Andrew's first anniversary. And I went down to West Cork to meet him in, I think, June, June 21. So a few mm. months later. You know, as soon as I had some time off from work, I headed down to West Cork. He was, was great. He, was he sort of bemused by all? Because oh, yeah. I know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he couldn't believe it. He <laughs> he found the whole thing really bizarre. He'd have had a couple of friends who totally knew who Andrew Weatherall was, and you know, he'd have had a few friends who, you know, they had Screamadelica or whatever. Do you know all that? But. Jared himself just kind of wasn't in that world, do you know, just wasn't particularly in that world. So he knew nothing. He knew absolutely nothing about any of this. And yes. he couldn't believe it. He just couldn't believe it. Um, yeah, it's extraordinary. It's it is, I, also, it? I like the way also in your in your documentary, he he's like, it's not it's not exactly um, fail. We may sail. We must. It was slightly different. It was fail. She may go. We must. I think it was. Yeah. Um, and I, I like that too. I was like, I, whether Andrew just didn't remember it quite correctly or Andrew did that thing that he did with so many other people's work, which is like, if we just twist the knob a little yes, bit here. And, yes, you remixed it out. <laughs> exactly, yeah, he, did, he put his producer hat on. It's like, I, I think this is slightly more poetic this way. Jared has the original. He's had that tattooed. He actually told me that um, he did a year out in um, Australia like so many Irish people do. And while in Australia, of course, he was thinking of home. He decided to get the old family fishing mantra tattooed onto his chest while he was in Australia. So, oh, so that had happened when he was maybe in his 20s. But a lovely man. It was wouldn't great you, to meet wouldn't him. You, wouldn't you have loved to have a recording of the, the car trip? between the two of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> because that's a long drive. That I mean, from Cork Airport all the way down to West Cork, you're talking maybe an hour and a half, two hours each way. So you kind of think, what's this 18, 19-year-old as he was at the time? What's he saying to Andrew Weatherall for the duration of this journey? Particularly well, when Weatherall is saying to him, I don't really want to talk about DJing. Yeah. Tell me about your life. Yes. So you kind of think that would have been lovely to have in the back seat um, with a microphone? A fly yeah. on the wall. Oh, amazing. While I was making the Andrew Weatherall documentary, a friend in Sydney sent me a link to um, a My Bloody Valentine. Oh, the uh, double, a, double J interview. A, yeah, a long interview that Karen Lang had done with Kevin Shields. It was like a two hour interview, I think. It was really good. And um, in the middle of it, I couldn't believe it. As I was listening to it there in the middle of it, you know, he spends about one or two minutes going into kind of quite precise detail about Weatherall's remix of Soon. And I'd never heard him talk about that before. So I just sent an email to Karen and said, Karen, do you mind if I use a bit of audio from your documentary? And she was like, yeah, of course, no problem. So that was oh, really nice. nice. And it's a nice link back to uh, Australia as well, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things I definitely took away from your program was just all of those connections. Like everyone has such a warm feelings towards Andrew and everyone wanted to tell their story of like, I got to shake his hand here and he signed my LP there. And it made such a an impact on them. And it's so nice to think that part of his legacy is still people connecting to one another, you connecting yeah, to someone like Jared or, and, yeah. you know, and just hearing you now, how there are these strange connections to Australia that we, yeah, that I didn't absolutely. know about before. So nice. The best part of the whole thing, really, I wish I'd had a camera. Jared had never heard Weatherall tell the story. So you mentioned Jockey Slot there a while ago. I got on to um, John O'Burgess from Jockey Slot and I said, um, 
by any chance, did you record that interview when you spoke to Andrew? And he said, I did, yeah. And I said, do you have the audio? Can I have it? And he said, of course you can use it, no problem. So I had the audio of the original interview and I was able to play it for Gerard and just to see Gerard's face as he was listening to this interview was just absolute magic, Axel. He had never heard it. It was fantastic. Oh, that's so terrific. Well, thank you so much, Paul. I, like I said, I've absolutely fell in love with your documentary. I can't wait to explore more of the things that you're making. I'm definitely going to jump on your podcast and have a listen to But thank you so much for your time this evening, your morning. And um, is there any Andrew Weatherall track that you'd like me to play as, uh, as one of your favourites? I'm a huge fan of the uh, remix of Soon. That's probably my all-time favourite, even though I know a lot of the my bloody Valentine purists aren't, you know, aren't huge fans of it, but I love it. That's always been my favorite remix of his. Awesome. Well, I'll be sure to play it. Thank you, Paul McDermott. It was such a pleasure to speak to him in Dublin a couple of weeks ago about the making of his incredible radio documentary, Fail We May, Say or We Must, and the story of Andrew Weatherall. So true to form, I'm going to play the song that, that um, Paul himself requested. It's the remix of Soon by My Bloody Valentine. And of course, that remix is done by Andrew Weatherall. Enjoy. Fail We May, Sail We Must, a tribute to Andrew Weatherall. And you also heard there from Axel Moline from Blue Mountain Radio. My thanks to all the contributors in the documentary. My thanks to Axel and special thanks to Kieran Hurley from UCC 98.3 FM for sound supervision on the documentary. So go to at Learn and Sing on Twitter or paulmcdermott.ie forward slash podcast and you'll find episode notes and further information on the podcast. And season two of the podcast is coming soon. The theme music, as always, is called Irish Rhapsody Redux. It's by Mark Healy and it's Mark's reworking of a recording of the New Light Symphony Orchestra's version of Victor Herbert's Irish Rhapsody. <laughs>